0: welcome to come follow me with free episode 98. I will not come down. Hello. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I doubt anyone but me will notice, but last week I said episode 96, but I also said episode 96 two weeks ago. (laughs) So really I just skipped saying 97 altogether and really last week's episode was 97 and this week's is 98. So anyway, I doubt any of you will have noticed that, but just wanted to correct that really quick. So this is episode 98. We're getting close to hundred. I can't believe that I have been doing this long enough that I have done a hundred episodes. I tell my kids, well, I really have only said this out loud once because it seems kind of morbid to talk about it, but I'm like, you know, if I die, you guys have like 50 hours of me talking that you can listen to <laughs> anyway that's morbid I shouldn't say that out loud that's I just need to like knock on some wood or something okay this week we are studying Ezra one and three through seven and then Nehemiah two four through six and eight and before we really dive in, I want to start with some really very basic background just so we kind of know where we are at. Last week, we learned about the 10 tribes of the Northern Kingdom who were scattered, and we don't know what happened to them after that, hence the lost 10 tribes. On the other hand, we do know what happened to the remaining two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, or the Southern Kingdom, known as Judah. Judah and Jerusalem were finally defeated and carried away into Babylon, and eventually Babylon is also defeated like, I forgot how many, like 60, 70 years later. And one of the first decrees of the king of Persia after he defeats the Babylonians is that the Jews can return to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple. He even returns much of the treasure that had been looted from the temple by the Babylonians. And the Jews are able to rebuild the temple and rededicate it although it didn't come with a lot of hardship along the way. And during the building of the temple, that is where we meet Ezra. And you should go read about Ezra or listen to another podcast about Ezra because we're not going to talk about him, but he was he was cool. This is where we also meet the Samaritans. They were a, a combination of the lower class people who were originally left behind in Jerusalem because the, the Babylonians mostly took the upper class people, the more skilled people and just left behind the people who, who weren't going to really flourish in society. And they intermarried with the occupying forces and people that had come to live in the land with them. So they were kind of considered to be a polluted bloodline of the Israelites, which is why they were hated by the Israelites. Because if you remember, it is against the law of Moses to marry outside of Israel, The Samaritans were practicing a kind of combination of paganism and the law of Moses. And because of this, they offered when the Jews returned to Jerusalem to help rebuild the temple. Their offer was rejected. And because of that, they tried to throw a wrench in a lot of different ways while the Jews were rebuilding the temple. But ultimately, the temple got built and rededicated. And this is where we arrive at where we're going to talk about today. We are going to learn about Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah. He is a man worthy of admiration, a man who actively sought after the Lord, trusted him, and refused to be moved. He embodies the phrase, stand ye in holy places and be not moved. The book of Nehemiah, which technically was all on one scroll with the book of Ezra, but was separated later into two, starts out with Nehemiah learning about what had become of the Jews in Jerusalem. Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king of Persia, which basically means from what I've read that he was his butler. And he asks his brother who had just returned from Jerusalem and some men that were with him that he calls men of Judah about what has happened and what's going on to the people in Jerusalem. And they answer him saying in Nehemiah chapter one, verse three, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down. The gates thereof are burned with fire. This evokes a very emotional response from Nehemiah, and not just an emotional response. His response is an immediate reaching for the Lord. And before I start reading to you the things that he says, I love that this is in the first person. This is Nehemiah talking and saying, the word I, and it's not just saying, and Nehemiah did this, and it just feels so much more personal. Okay. Starting in verse four. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the Lord God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eye open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou hast commanded thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn to me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though there were of you cast out to the uttermost parts of heaven, yet I will gather thee from thence, and I will bring unto them the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants, and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power, and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let thou thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. So Nehemiah starts that prayer by acknowledging the love and mercy that God has for his children, but then acknowledging that Israel has betrayed him. And because of that, the Lord had to keep his promise that he would scatter them. Nehemiah is acknowledging that this has happened. And that it was justified. And just a really quick aside, when the Jews return to Jerusalem to build the temple, it's at that point that they really start to recommit to the law of Moses. And if you think about the Jews that we know of in the New Testament, when Jesus is on the earth, you kind of, I think sometimes we forget about when did they start to embrace the law of Moses again? Because clearly by the time Jesus was born, they were all about it to the extreme, And it's at this point when they rebuild the temple that they really recommit to the law of Moses in doing everything that the law of Moses um, says. Okay, back to Nehemiah. So Nehemiah acknowledges that this has happened and that it was justified. And he's pleading with the Lord to allow them to return to him so that he can regather them. And he asked the Lord to hear him because he wants to serve him. And he asks that the Lord soften the heart of the king because he plans to ask the king a grand request so that he can pursue a mission that he can feel in his heart that he is meant to do. If we all followed the example of Nehemiah, our lives would be transformed and the world would be changed. Nehemiah felt passionate about something. He could feel the Lord inspiring him and he took a leap of faith and pursued it with all his heart and even did something scary. Have you ever felt pulled to do something? Something that might have felt scary or impossible? Something that you might have felt unqualified for? All right, moving to Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's learn what exactly did he want to do. Verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing that thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And I said unto the king, Let the king live for ever. Why should not my countenance be sad, when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth in waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? And the king said unto me, For what doest thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I love that part, this little gap between the king's question and Nehemiah's answer. Between those two things he says, he prayed to the God of heaven. How, how often when we are in a scary or hard conversation, should we take a moment to pray to the Lord? This shows so much about Nehemiah's purity of heart and also his faith in this mission that the Lord has put into his heart. As he was doing this, he was in a partnership with the Lord. He knew that the Lord had his back. So now he replies after he says his little prayer to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me to Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. So Nehemiah goes. I love how how sometimes when we're scared of something sometimes it does end up being as hard as we think it was going to be but but Nehemiah had built this up in his mind and he was scared and justifiably so but the king at least in in this account he just replies and he he says okay how long do you want to be gone and Nehemiah goes and I wonder if Nehemiah was just so relieved and and after he got on the other side of that conversation he just thought oh that wasn't that wasn't so hard The Lord had my back. The king's heart was softened. And trusting in the Lord worked. He also asked for the king to arrange for the governors who are in charge of different resources in the area to help him obtain certain things like like lumber, which makes some of them unhappy that anyone would want to come and help and strengthen the children of Israel. When he gets to Jerusalem, he is hesitant to tell the people why they're there. So he takes a few days to secretly survey the damage of the walls. Perhaps he felt like he would be mocked, which he, as we start to to go through this story, we'll see that this is very much true or he felt unqualified. But for whatever reason, he didn't want to tell them immediately why he was there. I mean, he's never been to Jerusalem before. And who is he to come in and tell them that he was ready and called to lead them in the rebuilding of the wall? So when he's ready, he tells them. Verse 17, chapter 2. Then I said unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, and how Jerusalem lieth in waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we will no more be a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and also the king's word that had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite, and Jersham, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn, and despised us, and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then I answered them, and I said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but ye have no more portion, nor right nor memorial in Jerusalem. So he's got people to join him in this mission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but it's not without opposition. At this point they've got People making fun of them, saying that they must wish to rebel against the king and that this is ridiculous. And by rebel against the king, they mean, why, like, why do you want to rebuild the walls? Are you trying to defend yourself? Are you trying to make yourself strong enough that you can rebel against the king? But Nehemiah, despite all of this persecution, is not moved. But the walls of Jerusalem must have really been in shambles because they are mocked mercilessly. Chapter 3, verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the armies of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Can't you just picture these two standing next to each other, making fun of them and kind of Uh, building off of the other's words and just really trying to make these people seem so stupid for wanting to build up this wall. So what is Nehemiah's response to this mocking? He prayed to the Lord. That's what he does. Nehemiah kind of reminds me of Tevye in Fiddler on the Roof. It seems that his response to stress or fear or worry is to talk to the Lord. Verse six, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. I'm going to say that again. For the people had a mind to work. Do we have a mind to work? Are we willing to put in effort to do the work that we have been asked to do? Are we willing to do the things that we feel ourselves being prompted by the Lord to do, even the things that might be overwhelming, seemingly impossible, or even scary, I know sometimes when I feel myself being pulled to do something that feels too big, a lot of the feelings that I have are centralized around not knowing where to start or fear of failure or not wanting to commit myself to more responsibility or or not wanting to look bad in front of other people. So I guess that's a good question to ask of myself. Do I have a mind to work anyway? Clearly, this was a task that many viewed as impossible or foolish or ridiculous And yet they chose to trust the Lord instead and get to work. So in that one verse, half the wall is repaired and the people in the surrounding area start to get angry about that. Chapter four, verse eight and conspired all of them together to come to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and we set watch against them day and night because of them. So their enemies plan to sneak in and infiltrate them before they notice so that they can kill them. And Nehemiah hears about their plan, and he knows that they need to do something about it. Verse 13, Therefore I set in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said to the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And it came to pass that from that time forth, the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the, I don't know this word, habergins the Habergens, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which builded up on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that it, every one with one of his hands wrought the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one with his sword girded by the by his side, so he builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said to the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In that place where ye hear the sound of the trumpet resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. So we laboured in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. So neither I nor my brethren, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes saving that every one put off them for washing. So they knew that the task that they had was commissioned by the Lord, and they were willing to defend it fiercely and boldly and without shame, and with extreme dedication, they, they it said that he basically they didn't take off their clothes other than to wash them, and that they held their spears and their swords at all times, and that they worked from the rising of the sun in the morning till the stars appeared. They were dedicated to that work and they were ready to defend it. That makes me think about my work with my family, with raising my children. Am I that willing to work and defend my children against attacks? From the adversary? And we can also think about it in terms of the church as a whole. Are we all willing to put our shoulder to the wheel and work and defend the church against attacks from the adversary? Do we allow those attacks and mocking hinder our enthusiasm and determination for the cause? We all have our own individual missions and tasks that we have been called to be passionate about and push forward by the Lord. We can't all put the same amount of effort and passion toward everything. I feel that one of my missions is to do this podcast. Yours might be to be an amazing youth leader. Mother, aunt, uncle, friend, ministering sister or brother, you might feel called to get involved with your local politics. You might be, feel pulled to help with foster care. I could go on and on. There are infinite number of things that you could feel pulled to do by the Lord. But I know something that we have all been called to do by the same God who called Nehemiah. We have been called to feed his sheep, to gather Israel. And we can only do that if we refuse to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and defend and uphold his church and his doctrine. Are you willing to defend the Lord's doctrine? Even more simply, are you willing to simply speak truth as the Lord defines it? Or do you feel the need to sugarcoat it so it doesn't hurt anyone's feelings? Let's remember that the gospel, the truth has been offending people all of time. To be clear, I'm not advocating to be insensitive or cruel, but if you find yourself sugarcoating what the Lord has to say, I promise you that the Lord doesn't need it or want that. He doesn't need you to apologize for Him. He needs, no, He wants you to join in the work, unashamed and willing to boldly testify of the truth and with a mind to work. Let's remember what the power of the Word of God has, the Word of God without caveat, without apologies. Alma thirty one verse five. And now, as the preaching of the word had a great tendency to lead the people to do that which was just, yea, it had a more powerful effect upon the minds of the people than the sword or anything else which had happened unto them. Therefore, Alma thought it was expedient that they should try the virtue of the word of God. Okay, so the work of repairing the wall continued. And as it is nearing completion, his enemies conspire to trick Nehemiah. Chapter six, starting in verse two, that Sanbalat and Jersham sent unto me saying, come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent it to me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. As the walls of Jerusalem get closer and closer to completion, they still continue to try and trick Nehemiah, and he is not moved, and they are able to complete the wall. Nehemiah repeated the same response four times to his enemies. I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease, whilst I leave it and come down to you? Why should the work cease whilst I leave it? If anyone's request in your life also requires that your most important work be ignored, that is a sign that Satan is working to deceive you and distract you. That is when you say to yourself and perhaps to others that I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. I want to end with Elder Uchtdorf's commentary on this. And here he's talking in the priesthood session, so he's talking about men in the priesthood, but I think generally we can pretty much apply it to women as well. He said, We live in a time of great challenges and great opportunities. The Lord is seeking men like Nehemiah, faithful brethren who fulfill the oath and covenant of the priesthood, He seeks to enlist unfaltering souls who diligently go about the work of building the kingdom of God, those who, when faced with opposition and temptation, say in their hearts, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. When faced with trial and suffering, they respond, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. When faced with ridicule and reproach, they proclaim, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Our Heavenly Father seeks those who refuse to allow the trivial to hinder them in their pursuit of the eternal. He seeks those who will not allow the attraction of ease or the traps of the adversary to distract them from the work He has given them to perform. He seeks those whose actions conform to their words, those who say with conviction, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. I bear solemn testimony that God lives and is mindful of each one of us. He will stretch forth his hand and uphold those who rise up and bear the priesthood with honor, for in these latter days he has a great work for us to do. This gospel does not come from man. The doctrine of the church is not someone's best guess as to the meaning of ancient scripture. It is the truth of heaven revealed by God himself. I testify that Joseph Smith saw what he said he saw. He truly looked into the heavens and communed with God the Father and the Son and with angels. I bear witness that Heavenly Father speaks to those who seek Him in spirit and in truth. I have witnessed with my own eyes and joyfully testify that in our day God speaks through His prophet, seer and revelator, even Thomas S. Monson. My dear brethren, like Nehemiah, we have a great work to do. We stand overlooking the horizon of our age. It is my fervent prayer that in spite of temptations, we will never lower our standards, that in spite of distractions, wherever they may come from, we will not lose focus on what matters most, that we will stand resolute and together, shoulder to shoulder, as we valiantly bear the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we may be worthy of the holy priesthood of Almighty God and to a man lift our heads and with unwavering voice proclaim to the world, we are doing a great work and we will not come down. I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.